This episode is supported in part by Gateway Film Center, a nonprofit cinema committed to supporting storytellers. Authentic stories can inspire new ideas, entertain, push boundaries, spark new levels of empathy, and advance social change. To learn more about their program and plan your visit for award season weekend, please visit gatewayfilmcenter.org. Oh, wrong house. No, the right house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. I'm angry because these two people cut in line in front of me and everyone is letting them get away with it. Them, there, those two people with their stupid faces. All right, look, I'm sorry. I don't have my entire life figured out. Oh my God. It's not like we have all our lives figured out. I would feel a lot better about giving you the money if you went to a therapist. You buy your two-year-old daughter $80 shoes from France, and you're just giving me a hard time. You know, that's a lot of sex. Matt and Freddie. Well, I would have a lot of sex if I had that much money. I mean, you know, nothing to worry about, no stress. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that ends with a chase through Grand Central Station. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my personal trainer who tells me about all his sex stuff, Joe Reed. You casting me as Scott Kahn is the nicest thing you've ever said about me, so I will take that compliment no, and run with I, it. I was worried it would be mean because nope. he's terrible in this movie. Yes, but he's so I mean, he, he's, he's great just at so good looking. Yes. Douches. Oh, so yeah. So it's like he, gives, he does a good job. He has a real talent. He has many talents. That is one of them. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel like you can always tell in our outline when I am writing up these outlines because the problem is I will sometimes create our outline as I'm watching the movie. <laughs> I was watching the movie and I was and it suddenly hit me that I couldn't remember who her love interest is in the movie and I was trying to think of like what like mid-level younger because like there was that streak where like jennifer aniston's characters were always like dating pe- uh, uh, people jake somewhat Gyllenhaal's. younger right you're jake gyllenhaal's you're uh uh there was somebody else too but yeah jake gyllenhaal and the good girl is the one i'm mainly thinking of and like of course it was scott con of course in 2006 that guy was scott con it for a second when i saw her sh- uh, walk up to the lancome counter as she's scamming all her little lancome creams the one guy for a second looked like Kevin Zeggers, and I was just like, "Oh no, it's not Kevin Zeggers." And then it wasn't. It was the it was the <laughs> the persnickety gay guy behind the counter who was pissed at her. But uh, apparently, the first woman who she scams lotion off of is Catherine Keener's sister. Oh, fascinating! At least I'm assuming because her name her name is Elizabeth Keener, and I was just like, "Well, that's got to be her." And then like there is a resemblance. So, <sighs> this is a good movie. What a like good movie. movie. Our second Nicole Holof Center. Yes. Out of only six movies. She's only directed six movies. And yeah. Pretty much all of them are. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to say the same thing. Pretty much all of them, I would say, with the exception of The Land of Steady Habits, the one that we. We never want to talk about that movie. Anyway. um, Yeah. 
I, we could probably do episodes on all of yes, them. I don't that's know a, that about Walking and Talking, though. No, Walking and Talking is the one that, like, puts her on the map, and then in retrospect, everybody was just like, "What's that was such a good movie. But, like, even, yeah. I don't even think she got an Independent Spirit Award nomination for that. And, like, she's gotten Independent Spirit Awards for everything except for uh, Walking and Talking and Land of Steady Habits. She's gotten uh, screenplay nominations, at least. She won... At least once, because she won for uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me a couple years ago. But she's been nominated mm-hmm. for Lovely and Amazing, Friends with Money, Please Give, and Enough Said. And, like, that and, makes sense. Well, and I, I didn't necessarily want to, like, get into this off the top of it, but it is still very um, sad to me that her one Oscar nomination is for Can You Ever Forgive Me, the movie that was originally going to be her movie yes. and then fell apart. Yes. Um it's it's and it's then, ironic. Like, yes. Went through a, a rewrite and is now Mariel Heller's movie, who yeah. we absolutely also love too. It's right. It's just interesting. Right. Um yeah, that whole making of that movie for a movie that it turns out to be so just wonderful and lovely and like all the things we want out of uh, you know, a character dramedy kind of a thing and because it comes from both nicole holof center and mariel heller it you you on paper it seems like oh that's like double the good feeling and then it's just like oh but the making of this was probably pretty fraught and you know with it being holof center's movie originally and julianne moore had been cast and then it was holof center who fired julianne moore right that's what she had said Julianne Moore says that she was fired by Holof Center, like, though, right? Yes, it seems like there was a like major creative difference between the two of them. Yes. Julianne Moore wanted to wear a fat suit, and it just re- it, to me it seems like they just really didn't see eye to eye and were yeah. not going to. And Julianne Moore's participation in the movie was probably how they had the funding for it. Yes, and when. Nicole Hollis Center was like, well, it's not going to work with Julianne. Then the movie just didn't happen. Much as I love Julianne Moore, I am very thankful that that movie was not Julianne Moore in a fat suit. Like, I. I well, just... it was also going to be a very different movie, too, because sure. it was Marielle Heller that brought on Jeff Witte. And, right. like, I know a lot of the Richard Entertainment Grant stuff changed. Yeah. The movie we got is perfection, and I'm very glad we have it. But also, we have all these wonderful movies from Nicole Holof Center to enjoy. And I think around Friends with Money was around the time, because it's her third feature, it's another film with a pretty much exclusively female lead cast. Walking and Talking is a lot about relationships, so like the, the male characters in that are more prominent, sort of like Friends with Money, where like all of their mm-hmm. relationships are actually really important. But like the main characters are the women. And um by Friends with Money, I think this is when people and because she called it Friends with Money and it was about money, I think a lot of people sort of realized that, oh, that's interesting that like there's this kind of uh I I'm trying to like draw the the through line of like, you know, these sort of because they're not all well-to-do white women in all of her movies. Like, Walking and Talking, they're kind of, they're pretty, you know, modest apartments in New York City, that kind of a thing. But, like, certainly... too. Yeah. But Friends with Money and Please Give are really interesting, because that's when she starts, her movies really focus on the kind of economic lives of Mm -hmm. the women in her movies. And 
it's a lot of like there's a lot of hand wringing over what to do in a world where I have money and not everybody has money. And Hall of Center's perspective is really interesting because she doesn't move outside of her characters, but she definitely interrogates them. And I and I wonder if mm-hmm. there's a little bit of the response to some of those. Because with Friends with Money and Please Give, the critical acclaim got a little mixed. And I think it's that there was a little bit of a trouble to separate when she's writing about these characters being who they are and behaving how they behave without like having other people in that film universe sort of indict them. And it's just like, no. And I don't think she needs to do that. And I think a lot, I think more and more critics seem to feel like she did need to do that. Does that make sense? Am I being too vague? No, I don't think you're being too vague. I think definitely because we're a decade out from most of these movies, we're talking uh, most of her movies. We have a smarter eye on it now. I think this is maybe the movie that critically got the most misinterpretation of thinking that it's not actually critiquing these women right. and their privilege. Right. When I think it absolutely is right, um, right. Maybe not as uh, harshly as say something like "Please Give." Right. Is. Um, I think. I, def- I mean, like, that's what Nicole Hall of Center movies are about. Like, they're weirdly these comforting movies, but they are about, like, these, like, uh, you know, sticky areas of, like, uh, economics and people of, like, adjacent class levels how they interact but i do think she largely in her movies is examining female white privilege yeah um well in a and way her... that's still like not this wholly antagonistic way like she right she's a very humanist filmmaker very like observational filmmaker but also has a lot of empathy for people who yes. can behave inappropriately and badly she's not really interested in seeing her characters get comeuppance or some sort of like right, cosmic suffering justice. right and she's also writes especially in those first four movies no i would say in everything actually she writes very um introspective neurotic sort of like characters who are constantly interrogating their own lives and constantly Mm -hmm. sort of evaluating and you know picking apart their own lives and the lives of the people sort of closest to them i think that's one of the best things about friends with money is the way we're like at any point two characters are together and they're talking about the ones that are not there and Mm -hmm. in a way that like gets very much into how a lot of friend groups are right where it's just like Mm -hmm. you know Two will talk about a third, and three will talk about a fourth, and that kind of thing. And it's just a really well-observed friend dynamic. And also, the stuff about the economic inequality never seems too heavy-handed. It always seems like... Mm -hmm. Because I think if you went too heavy-handed with this, you would get too far to the level of, well, how... Are they all even friends? And you get to the edge of that with Friends with Money, where like Joan Cusack even says, like, if I well, had there's met- that scene that comes at the exact right moment towards the end of the movie that's yes. like if they met now, they probably wouldn't or couldn't right. be friends. But I also don't think 
I think Nicole Hollis Center is really smartly throughout the whole movie just taking that on its face, whereas I think a lesser movie would yeah. want the audience to question, well, why are they even friends from the very beginning? Like, I yes. never and would want the them to sort of, of their friendship. And would want them to sort of stop being friends by the end. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. would want the end to be a, like a breaking off point. She, you're right. You're exactly right, though. She keeps things exactly on the right side of... It, you you never don't believe that these four were or are friends. Like you absolutely mm-hmm. believe this kind of bond between them. And you never really need scenes where like they say it. You never have that scene where Olivia says to Franny or Al, uh, or sorry, Jane or uh, Christine, you know, you're my friend because of this. And this is why we're still friends or whatever. You just buy it from the way that they interact and the way that the mm-hmm. dialogue is very familiar between them and the way that like, uh, bad feelings only linger for so long and resentments really only linger for so long. There's, you know, Franny and, and Olivia, the Joan Cusack and J- Jennifer Aniston characters probably have the longest fight of any characters in this mm-hmm. movie. Among the women, and it's not really even like a fight, fight. right? It's, it's just right. a tense, real conversation. Right. I also think there's one thing that kind of really pulls that dynamic off that I think a lesser movie would do this, and Nicole Hollis Center does does not like include this scene. Is you would get a scene where it's the three wealthy women together, and they do talk about her, but it doesn't feel like. It's not they're, so gross. It could like yeah, it's they're not, not as ganging gross as up on her. They're right. not like sitting around and talking about their poor friend, you know. Right. And yet there is unavoidable condescension in those scenes. The way where like mm-hmm. C- Joan Cusack and Greg Gurman, who plays her husband, talk about well, she you know uh, Frances McDormand at the dinner at the very beginning, kind of rudely, but in a way that like fits her character, says to Cusack like, "Don't donate two million dollars to your dumb." well-off school like give it to olivia she really needs it and on the ride home cusack sort of starts to you know as she is she's sort of like wishy-washy and she's maybe i should give it to olivia and german has this thing of just like no that would be weird and she's like well maybe we should hire her to clean the house and he's like no that would be too weird and there's this (laughs) condescension of just like we can't employ her because that would like underline the class difference between us and we can't give her money because it would underline the class dis- difference between us. And if we don't do either of those, then we won't have to think about the class difference between us. And it's just like, <laughs> there's that unavoidable condescension there. And, and I think Hall of Center writes it really well and really perfectly and never mm-hmm. tips it too far in the direction of God, these people are gross. I wish Olivia would just like, tear them all new assholes and just like be done with all of them. Like you don't get to that point and it's a much better movie because of that. Mm -hmm. So we love this movie, you guys. Yeah. There's, I have one or two sort of like significant snags with it that we'll get into probably Mm -hmm. after the plot description. Cause my one, my biggest one is about how it ends, but um, yeah, it's a really wonderful movie. It is a brisk 87. I think like it's pretty, um, Nicole doesn't waste time. Yeah. 88 minutes. Yes. Uh, Really? And just like so... That's the other thing about her movies is that they get... This is probably her most uh, starry cast, like front to back, where it's just like Jennifer Aniston made like massive 
a star of television and film. Friends had mm-hmm. ended. She had the marriage with Brad Pitt was a year in the background, and um, she was obviously like a People magazine, Us Weekly, like mainstay for good or ill. But like McDormand, Cusack, obviously Catherine Keener is her kind of mainstay. But she attracts really good actors because she writes really, you know, interesting parts. And But she casts so intelligently. Mm-hmm. And on its face, I don't know if I would have necessarily been like, oh yeah, these four women are friends. Just if you give me the cast. But like, it really makes, she really makes it work in the movie in a way that like, I really love. Aniston's great in this movie. She's I it's probably her best performance. Yeah. Um, yes. There's also something about it too that like it's these four actresses together make so much like sense with yeah. this script. Like I watching it this time I was even thinking about you could even like change up some of these roles. <laughs> we should mention Joan Cusack's name is Fran. Um Yeah. Yeah. And I I just kind of felt like the, these are just like the right people to be in Nicole Hall of Center movies. Um, yeah, do this movie in repertory where every uh, every week they they swap roles. <laughs> they sort of like pick roles out of the bag. It's true. It could really work. You could definitely see Keener playing Aniston's role and vice I want to see Joan Cusack screaming in an Old Navy too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. This movie also... Uh, the cultural, the specific cultural references are all sort of like very well chosen. The fact that that whole meltdown happens in an old Navy when they're at the auction at the end, there are two moments that I really loved at that auction. One with, I think it's Keener who goes through and she's like, Reese Witherspoon will knit me a sweater when they're going through all the things that they could bid on (laughs) is a really funny line. And then one of the other prizes is a walk on roll on nip tuck, which is perfect. Like, and Simon McBurney, the one that they think is gay absolutely wants that. Simon McBurney's really good in this movie, too. He's one of those, like, character actors who you really see in, like, especially a lot of British things. He was in one of the Mission Impossible movies. He's in, like, any movie about... He's in, like, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. All these sort of, like... Yeah, he's always, like, the voice of Big Brother. Like, he plays roles like that in movies. And it's a really atypical role in this movie, but I think he does a really great job with it. Well, we talk when we talk about Nicole Hall of Center movies in relation to the actors and the stars of them, we yeah. talk about the women, right? Yeah. But as we should, but like Nicole Hall of Center really knows how to cast yeah. men very, yes. very well in roles that like yeah. are seemingly atypical, but they're great. Like Oliver Platt is incredible in, in Please, Please Give. Give. I was watching uh, clips of Walking and Talking before we started recording, and like you forget how great Liev Schreiber is in that movie and just like really appealing in a way that like most Liev Schreiber roles are very kind of um, almost like taciturn, like very, he doesn't give mm-hmm. you much uh, outward exuberant emotion. And like, he's not, he's, he's very uh, expressive in walking and talking and he's like, oh, it's, it's a really great role for him. I love that movie. And obviously we've talked about enough said on this podcast before and how Our great Gandolfini is said. in it. Yeah. So, uh. Yes. Yeah, you're totally right. The you're most handsome right. man, James Gandolfini. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, why don't I do the plot description now so we can get into more of the plotty stuff? Because I want to talk about Simon McBurney's character a lot, and I want to talk about the ending a lot. And, uh, and yeah, 
Yes, absolutely. All right, guys. So we are here talking about Nicole Hall of Center's Friends with Money, starring Jennifer Aniston, Frances McDormand, Joan Cusack, Catherine Keener, Scott Kahn, Jason Isaac, um, Simon Mc. Bernie, Greg Gurman, Ty Burrell, which I always forget Ty Burrell is in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and Bob Stevenson, who's also really good. Yes. Um, the movie played Sundance in 2006 and then had its limited opening of April 7th, just a few months later. Yeah. Joe, you seem very gung-ho to give this 60-second plot description, so I'm going to assume that you, sir, are ready. Yes, I'm ready. All right, Joe Reed, your 60-second plot description for Friends with Money starts now. All right, Franny, Jane, Christine, and Olivia are all longtime friends. Franny, Jane, and Christine are all rich, while Olivia is not. Franny is played by Joan Cusack. She's the wealthiest. She's happily married with kids, but sometimes she's at a loss as to what to do with all her money. Jane is Frances McDormand. She's a fashion designer. She's increasingly very angry, and everybody thinks her husband is gay. Chris, uh, Catherine Keener is Christine, who's unhappily married to her screenwriting partner, who clearly doesn't respect her, and is building a second story onto their house, and is like jackass jennifer aniston is olivia who quit her job as a teacher now she works as a maid she smokes a lot of pot and her friends are all very concerned about her the women talk a lot about each other about how franny should give olivia some of her money about how jane's gay gay, uh, husband is gay and christine's marriage is terrible and olivia's life is a disaster jane has a freak out in an old navy and ends up breaking her nose christine and her husband end up separating olivia starts seeing franny's himbo trainer who isn't nice but who's played by scott Kahn. so obviously olivia has sex with him a few times and good for her but by the end olivia ends up with the sweet happily a secretly wealthy schlub whose house she cleaned uh and it's a tale as old as time. time yeah that's it that's the movie <laughs> so the ending is the thing i have the biggest problem with the ending of olivia ending up with the guy which i don't i like that she it ends does up with seem the guy. like a small contrivance but i do think it's earned well this is my problem with it because it plays to me so she's she takes this guy whose name is shit i can't remember his name in the movie now um uh, uh marty marty thank you marty who because she had of like course, guys like this are all named marty right she meets him at the beginning he's a disaster she agrees to clean his house for less than she normally would um and then she like after her whole disaster with scott Kahn, sort of like meets up with him again and like Oh, they like they have a conversation and they find out that they, you know, have some stuff in common and they really get along and and he's kind of atypical for her and she brings him around to this benefit and he kind of, you know, he's not fancy, he's sort of sticks out, but he does well with her there and he likes her friends and so they're on the ride home from this thing and he reveals that he secretly and incongruously with everything that he has presented himself as is really wealthy because his father was very wealthy and his father left him all his money. And it plays to me like Olivia is being rewarded for choosing the, for kissing the frog essentially. And because of that, now she gets to be wealthy like all of her friends because she's going to end up with this guy who has money. And the the reward aspect of that felt a little gross and a little not like unchill a little bit, a little bit like, mm. oh, like this movie shouldn't end quite so pat. And I just didn't love the idea that just like, oh, because she decided to go for the schlubby guy, she's going to get cosmically rewarded with all this money. 
I I get all of that. I don't know if the movie completely ends fully pat because like I actually love the final note of the movie that like says that there is a true connection there and like maybe oh, this definitely. relationship isn't built to last because it's uh him saying he has a lot of problems she and she like says the same whatever and it ends on this nice note but i i feel like it's more of i mean i appreciate this about the movie but this is the contrivance i feel like it has it feels like uh, she has to put someone in the equation hollow center i mean yeah that there has to be some person that's like well not all people flaunt their money or not all people are fully wrapped up in what their money is if they have it you know um that kind of feels like forceful to me more so than she ends up with this guy because she does have this weird connection to him that feels genuine but also like he's a rich guy who is seemingly the nice rich guy but she doesn't let right. him fully off the hook because he like haggled with her for right um her cleaning fee right. for his house got it yeah got her down to 50 from uh from 65 it was just like okay um i like him i like that uh actor i like the character i just felt like he's the coach and lady bird that has to be the theater director yes um wonderful uh wonderful performance in lady bird yeah um but yeah aniston in this is really fantastic and in Mm -hmm. a way that like so her career obviously is incredibly interesting she uh Burst onto the scene in 1993 with Leprechaun, which we all remember as being the star-making performance that uh, that it was. We were all talking about Leprechaun. Everybody got the haircut that Jennifer Aniston had in Leprechaun. And, um, you know, it was a sensation around the world. And also she did a little thing on television on NBC or something like that. But um, Yeah. This yeah. is uh, not a sequel to the television <laughs> show. <laughs> right. Right. Friends. Parentheses with money. Um, yeah. No, she's Rachel on Friends. She's like a gigantic star that like everybody in that cast goes from like zero to, uh, you know, g- wildly famous uh, right mm-hmm. away. And she was the one... And again, because it's Hollywood, and Hollywood is incredibly shallow. She was the one that everybody decided, oh, she's the prettiest, we have decided. And so we have decided that she will have the movie the movie star career. Even though, interestingly enough, in those early few years, Courtney Cox was the one with the big blockbuster, because she was in the Scream mm-hmm. franchise. And Lisa Kudrow was the one making the really interesting artistic choices. She was in The Opposite of Sex and got all those raves, and she is in... Um, uh, clock watchers and and uh, obviously you know Romy and Michelle, which at the time was not respected like it should have been, but whatever. Um, but but Aniston... Lisa Kudrow was the one that was showing like a degree of versatility. Like Romy yeah. and Michelle isn't that far off from B- Phoebe Buffay, but like right. opposite of sex is a whole other different world, a whole other character. But right? that was also kind of what we expected out of Lisa Kudrow was, oh, she's the quirky one on Friends. She'll have the quirky career. And Mm -hmm. so that was sort of like in line. And it kind of was a little slow starting for Aniston. We're like, she's in Office Space, which is like a kind of like amasses a cult uh, following. And she's really good in that. But like Object of My Affection isn't the hit that that they probably wanted it to be. And 
nor is something like uh, pick well. Picture per- how did Picture Perfect do? Now I wanted to. I don't think this. it did that well. Right, like it did okay. Um, it was definitely like even in rom rom com terms, like a B tier rom com. Right, like um, my best friend's wedding is the A tier. Yeah, forty four million dollars worldwide, which isn't a disaster for a romantic comedy, but it's not like it's not you know my best friend's wedding or anything like that. So right. like it was that kind of stuff where it was just like oh we feel like we should be making it happen for her as like a mainstream rom-com big star she does um she's and then she's like oh she's the girlfriend in rockstar like what that's super thankless mm-hmm. and then 2003 the good girl comes out after playing at oh no it was 2002 uh after playing at sundance yes and that's the movie where it's like oh she's playing against type She's wearing all this like heavy eye makeup and she's sad and she's depressed and um, all this sort of stuff. It's a uh, Mike White scripted movie directed by Miguel Arteta and got a lot of great reviews out of Sundance and was like, oh, this is Jennifer Aniston playing against type. She's great. And she got like a lot of great reviews and I'm pretty sure she got um, awards attention for that. She got an Independent Spirit Award nomination did she, she get a Globe nomination for that? She didn't, but she was probably in the mix for that. Um, yeah. I don't love The Good Girl. And Me either. I I think her the raves for her in that film, she's not bad in it, certainly. I think Zoe Deschanel is the really interesting one as the best friend in that movie. Um, but I think what she does in Friends with Money is I think what a lot of people really loved like really praised her for in the good girl. Like my version of the good girl for her is friends with money where it's just like, she's, yeah, she's not playing the Rachel notes in her persona. Right. She's not, um, she's very like downbeat. She's very, uh, like grounded. And whereas the good girl, I don't think is that I think it's going for a similar, like stretching of what, Jennifer Aniston has done or like the type of character she's played and it pushes it so far in a certain direction. Yeah. Not like to the cake extreme, right. but like enough that it's like it doesn't it feels forceful or yes. effortful. Even though she's good, yes. It's just it's not on the level of Friends with Money. I agree. I think with Friends with Money, it's very relaxed, it's very lived in, and it's incredibly believable. And and some of that's probably because she's working with a better script in this movie. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely think so. And and that her, you know, her scene partners in all of these scenes, especially with the women, are all really good. And she's, you know, and also she this is four years after The Good Girl. Like she's improved as an actress just mm-hmm. from, you know, being in things. And I think she's really wonderful in this movie. I think the whole cast is great, but like she might be the most impressive one out of all mm-hmm. of them. And of course, this I is the kind there's of also something to say for the fact that at this point with Friends with Money, Friends was over. Right. Um and like that's a whole other stage of her career once like that yeah. like Friends is fully a closed chapter and like Friends it, it petered out towards the end where we knew the end was coming, yeah. but and that's like around the time the good girl happened, but like right. I don't know. Also, so Friends with Money happens at a really interesting time for her, both career and her life. So she had 
after The Good Girl, she has the big hit with Bruce Almighty, but she's, again, just playing the girlfriend in that. She's the love interest in Along Came Polly. She's the titular love interest in Along Came Polly. But then 2005, she has two really big bombs. She has derailed with uh, Clive Owen, <laughs> that I believe the is like a train thriller. Movie. Yeah. And Rumor Has It, which is the uh, sequel, spiritual sequel, quasi- uh, uh, kind of a meta-textual sequel to The Graduate that Rob Reiner directed. That and she- everybody was clamoring for. Well, the cast is great. Like the, It's like her and Shirley MacLaine and Kevin Costner and Mark Ruffalo, and everybody's just like, can't miss, and it's so a bad. A spiritual sequel to The Graduate, though, on what? Right. Who? Right. Well, it was based we on a- that movie, so we don't have to go into it. It was based but- on a book, right? Somebody had written... No, it wasn't. It was original screenplay by Ted Griffin. That's interesting. I thought somebody oh, had boy. written like a book or something like that. Anyway, um, just very odd and very strange and like is just doesn't work on any kind of level. And so that was like a really bad... So I think the good reviews that she got for Friends with Money were mostly focused on good rebound from Abdismal 2005 and also... Um, oh, isn't it good that she's got something nice because she's divorced from Brad Pitt? This was definitely the sad yeah. gen era, like uh, peak sad gen where everybody was very concerned about her, but in this very, again, condescending way, which kind of really dovetails into the movie where like all the other women are very like, oh, poor Olivia, what sh- what's to be done about Olivia? And like, we as a culture were kind of that, like that about Jennifer Aniston. It was just like, oh, did she want a baby? Did she not want a baby? Is she sad because yeah, she's single? Yeah, it overshadowed the movie at the time. Yes. Um, which is, again, too bad because she's great. And also too bad because she doesn't get another good role like this in a film again. Like, uh-huh. you look at everything that she's like, people like the break. I know there are people who like the breakup. Um, which is the movie she does also in 2006 with Vince Vaughn. And I saw it once. It's a Peyton Reed movie. So like, I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. I saw it once. I really don't care for Vince Vaughn. So like, I have an impediment, but like there are people who like the breakup and I will grant that to them. And Marley and me was a hit, but it's Marley and me is about the dog. And if it's not about the dog, it's about the dog and Owen Wilson, right? Yeah, there's a whole slew of Jennifer Aniston movies where she just plays the girlfriend. In that movie, she just plays the owner. like Right, right. And then it's just like a lot of bad comedies. Just a lot of bad comedies. He's just not that into you, where she's one of like a dozen people in a bad comedy. Um, The Bounty Hunter. Part of the, she gets to be part of the, um, Gerard Butler makes terrible romantic comedies cinematic universe. Um, (laughs) The Switch with Jason Bateman. Um, Just Go With It with uh with adam We're sandler she really likes she really likes adam sandler that's the one for as much as i don't like any of the movies that they're in together i like how um fond of him she seems to be that's nice and she uh she mentioned him in her sag she speech did. for she did. uh uh that was the, uh, morning the morning show yes yeah oh adam sandler your performance is extraordinary and your magic is real buddy i love you it was very she, it, does she like I love you, man, or yeah. I love you, buddy, something like yeah. that? And I was like, they're friends, and I like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, hate all the movies that they're in together. Um, she's in multiple horrible <laughs> I've only bosses. Seen just go with it. She's in multiple horrible bosses. I know some people also kind of liked We're the Millers that I've maybe never seen all the way through. Um, 
uh, we've talked about cake on this uh, on this podcast before. Oh boy, did we talk about cake? She's in Mother's Day, which is not a good movie, but like also you should watch Mother's Day. <laughs> like there are, there are reasons to watch Mother's Day. It's insane. Um, she's obviously the ma- the pageant mom in Dumplin. We all remember how much we love Dumplin. We love Dumplin. Dumplin. Um, uh, uh, did you see the Yellow Birds? I never did. I don't think I know what the Yellow Birds is. I think strangely. that was a Sundance. You me. It was a Sundance movie in 2017 that I remember. It's her and Alden Ehrenreich is in it, and Ty Sheridan and Tony Collette. Um, oh, this is the military movie. Yes, yes. No, I did not see that. Nor did I. Um, so yeah, and now she's like back on TV with the morning show, which is crazy bananas, but I love it. So I'm happy that she's made it back to there. Um, that is a that is a television show where uh, Reese Witherspoon knits her a sweater of uh, conflict, and the two of them <laughs> have conflict together, and it's very good. Um, yeah, I, I I I hesitate to say Jennifer Aniston's movie career bums me out because I don't want to fall into that trap of feeling sorry for Jennifer Aniston because that's you know. That's been done. But... Well, and it also still feels like it's still very much in play. Like, she could come out with another performance like this movie very conceivably soon, you know? like Yeah. It doesn't feel like she also, it's over for She her. also seems to just enjoy making movies with, like, comedy bros not to like put too fine of a point on it but like she clearly is very fond of sandler she's made a bunch of movies with jason sudeikis and jason bateman she's really actually really good in wanderlust which is her and paul rudd back together again since uh i've wanted to see the object of my affection she's good it's like it's a very modest movie like there's you know there's a ceiling on it that it doesn't ever really Mm. um but it's a david wayne movie you know what i mean like those movies are really funny and um it's her and Rudd, and this they're on a commune, and it's, you know, Justin Theroux is in it. I think if that's not where they met, like, they were maybe already dating by that point. But um, Malin Ackerman's in that movie. Catherine Hahn is so funny in that movie. Um, it's a really great cast. So, oh, right, Jordan Peele is in that movie. Alan Alda, Lauren Ambrose. It's an interesting movie. Anyway, she seems to enjoy those kinds of movies. And who am I to say, like, she should be doing high-end, you know, dramedies or, you know. Well, you can tell us she probably wants to do things and do work that will have a good positive experience for her. Yeah. Um, She's made her money. You know what I mean? She's made her money and she's been a giant star. And now she, if she wants to just do stuff that like is fun for her, good for fucking her. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, She's wonderful in this. Frances McDormand's the one who gets the independent spirit, not only nomination, but award, which is like mm-hmm. good for her because I love Frances McDormand in this movie. And this is a great performance, and she's so funny. She's so um, funny. She's incredibly funny in this movie. And and in a way that still kind of helps to build the Frances McDormand persona that I feel like doesn't really start getting built until the 2000s because even in fargo like she plays Mm -hmm. such a like sweet lovely person in fargo but like more and more she starts taking these roles that are uh 
hard boiled. Um, there's a lot of. Well, I was just on the For the Girls podcast talking about Francis, and we were talking about the grouch phase of Francis <laughs> McDormand. That's a good point. And, like, it's this and Olive Kitteridge, yeah. right, that kick it off? Yes. Well, um, also, though, she was in that play that she won the Tony Award for, where she uh, uh, stopped the show. The when David I saw Lindsay it. Bear play? Yes. Um, yeah, her Tony Award in her jean jacket. Her Tony Award in her jean jacket, right. The um, finest so, award show outfit ever. And so that's the thing. It was a combination of the roles in these uh, productions, uh, but also when she would win awards for those roles, she would show up again very uh, in a in a particular mood set. And it was, I remember thinking when, I think I tweeted this at the time, although I can't dig that up, but um, when she won the Golden Globe, I want to say, for Olive Kittredge, and her speech was very much like, people don't read books anymore. You should read a book. (laughs) It was great. I was just like, Francis, I love it. But, like, it's not all of her. Also, like, her North Country character was very stoic. Do you know what I mean? Um, Right. But, like, that isn't all of her. These hardened salt-of-the-earth types. Yeah. But she can play very funny. In a lot of those Coen's movies, in Burn After Reading and in uh, Hail Caesar and whatever... I think she even says anything in Hail Caesar. She's just like, her physical presence She is steals that, that scene, though. She's so she's so amazing. Um, yeah, it's... But you're right that, like, she really has kind of come to be defined by Olive Kitteridge, Three Billboards, um you know, jean jacket award wearing Francis. And well, and one of the things I brought up with the, for the girls guys is um, it, for Francis McDormand, like to like have her own niche being an actress of a certain age, like, you know, as much as we lament the roles for actresses, once they yeah. reach a certain point in their careers, um, like Francis kind of has defied that in a really interesting way, even if it feels like she has this like certain typecast now. Yeah. Like there's still a lot of variety within the actual performances, but like, you know, f- other than Transformers, like Francis isn't stuck playing bureaucrats or lawyers. Right. You know, right. Exactly. Uh, in a way that a lot of her peers, unfortunately, have been. So. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. But, like, it is just, it's important to remember, even in her, like, Oscar acceptance speech, the the um, the Three Billboards Oscar acceptance speech, where everybody remembers Inclusion Rider, and they should, because it was a great moment. But, like, that wasn't, like, stern Francis. That was, she was very kind of, like, hyped in that speech, remember? Mm-hmm. She was just sort of, she was very excited, and she was very... She's obviously not completely over awards. Like, she was so right. joyous giving Olivia Coleman her Oscar. Yes, yeah, totally. Um, so she's, I do think she makes a conscious choice to steer into that persona sometimes. That sort of, you know, the grouch mm-hmm. persona, which I think works for her. And, like, you know, gotta have an angle, and... But it's just, like, it's important to remember that, like, she has the range. She definitely, you know, mm-hmm. she, like, something like Almost Famous is nothing like Three Billboards, is nothing like, like we said, you know, the one scene in Hail Caesar. Like, she's, she definitely has the range. And in Friends with Money, she's sort of losing her marbles in a very grouchy way. She becomes very much the malcontent in social settings and at restaurants and at Old Navy and all of this. 
Screaming but, at people outside of her car window. Right, right. But it's like, but she like can nail a really funny line of dialogue that just like, also <laughs> like she and Aniston can rock a pair of bucket hats as well as any Patricia Clarkson I know. So like, <laughs> that's also really good. Um, yeah, I want to go to a farmer's market with Fran. Oh, God, absolutely. Absolutely. And have her throw unsubtle shade at the children of her friends that she uh, that she runs into. Yes. Not even shade. That was like full dust. It was. <laughs> yes. Um, there's also the scene when after the, the uh, dinner at the beginning, when they're all sort of like driving home with their partners and talking about each other. The way she says to Simon McBurney, who is her husband, um, about Catherine Keener, did you know she's never seen her husband's asshole? It's just a very funny line. <laughs> One of the funniest lines of the movie. But, like, that's pure Hall of Center, too. That is pure just, like, you know, we're going to be, you know, chatting about uh, the people who are not in this scene. And it's going to be very disarming in a way that's very funny. Um, there's some great and dialogue And that brings us to movie. Simon McBurney, who yes. I know you wanted to talk about, but, like, I kind of love... It feels like the movie is too... Uh, if there's a slight off balance, is like the he, the movie is way more interested in Simon McBurney than it is any of the other men, and yeah. it's because like none of them are interesting, really, right? Um, or interesting beyond the way the movie needs them to be. Yes, um, in that it's like, okay, well, why are we spending so much time with him? But like all of his stuff is gold. He yeah gets this like bromance that develops with Ty Burrell. Yeah. That you cannot tell the whole time if it's flirtatious or not, or... And you don't know whether Simon McBurney's character... What's his character's name in this? I I should shorthand it at some point. Yeah, it's Aaron. Aaron. You don't know if he knows whether they're flirting or not. Like, he seems to be something of a mystery to himself a little bit. There, Mm -hmm. We never find out for sure. We certainly never like find out that he has any kind of uh homosexual is acting in any on any possible homosexual feelings right but everything is like plausible deniability but he absolutely undoubtedly has incredible chemistry with Ty Burrell and also that scene where he's at the sweater sale trying on sweaters with the guy who's clearly flirting with him and he doesn't realize mm-hmm. it until late in the game is incredibly like it's sexy. Like I'm just like, why am I finding Simon McBurney sexy? And like it's a oh, good job on the <laughs> film's part for doing that. But just like it's like I'd well, never really thought of that before. I mean, that scene is written so well too, because yeah. when the guy like actually puts it out there, because you can never really tell, yep. like you mentioned, how much Simon McBurney realizes he's being flirted with right. until it's overt. Right. His response isn't I'm not gay. His response is I'm married. I'm married. Right. Right. And sort of holds up his ring as his sort of, like, defense it's shield. It's so smart, because conceivably, right. even if it wasn't a legal marriage, he could, at this point, like, he's he's not denying any type of, I don't know. Well, and here's Regardless the Regardless o- of what it is for the character, I think for the movie, it's really smart writing. Well, and here's the other thing, is whenever the women are in their little groups of two or three talking about the other ones, they're never wrong. Ultimately, they know that Christine's in a bad marriage and that ends up panning out. They know that, like, Olivia is aimless and wayward and that's obvious, you know, on its face. Um, 
when they talk about like Jane's not washing her hair and what's going on, like clearly something's up with Jane. So like their observations about each other are on point. They know each other very well. So when they, especially Christine, Catherine Keener's character is constantly being like, Aaron's so gay. And like, (laughs) you kind of are like, well, they've been right about everything else. So, but you never, it's left completely open-ended, but it's also at a very, kind of lovely place where like Jane for as much as she's like, she's kind of mean to him. um, She's especially mean to him at the beginning. She like calls him um, pathetic, right? In that first scene in a way that's like, not even like they're not fighting. She's just like, Oh God, you're pathetic. Um, She really appreciates him. She really appreciates what they have. You don't, she they're so clearly in love, even if he is gay or bisexual or something, they are, easily the couple that has the most affection for each other and you get these small moments where you you feel like it's not like she doesn't know it it's not like she doesn't you know see these little you know the way he you know behaves or or befriends other or or men or whatever and there's never a thing about the scene where she brings up do you know she's never seen her husband's asshole is she's also telling us the audience she's definitely seen her husband's asshole right right maybe played with her husband's asshole but like you know. she there's never a confrontation about afraid. it in the film. The women no. never confront her about it. She never confronts Aaron about it. There's never a thing. Um but you can tell it's that because like she's probably fine with whatever. Exactly. She is happy with him. She's maybe she's unhappy with other things. I think she's, you know, she's frustrated with the fact that like she's at middle age and certain avenues of her life are no longer available to her. She's sort of like, she communicates mm-hmm. that at one point. But like, there are there are moments where she's sort of, you know, she looks at him and you're just like, oh yeah, she really loves him. And she really likes their marriage, I think. And I, that's one of the things that I love about this character. And the type of thing I love in a Nicole Holof Center movie is that it, it, her character is just like going through a time. It's not any one thing. It's not any one grand problem that she can do something specific to solve or feel better about it's just it's an amalgamation of a lot of things that are just making her have a shitty time right now yeah um and i think that's more real and the movie does it in these ways that adds a lot of layers and textures to like where she's at without ever kind of reducing it to this is what her problem is this is like the thing that she can do to solve it, you know? Yeah. Also, before we get off of the Francis uh, subject entirely, how excited are we for the tragedy of Macbeth coming hopefully this year? Oh my God. I just, I, 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 that could be something that I'm like, I don't even want to see the trailer. Right. Because the idea of Francis playing Lady M, it's like, it could be one of a million things. She could pull anything out with how she's going to do that, and it's going to be correct, and I just want to experience it whole. Well, and the fact and that it's opposite Denzel Washington, pure, and, like, I'm really excited I mean, to see what the two of them, what their chemistry is like together, and, like, how they, you know, bounce off of each other, and... And that it's, you know, and what is a Cohen? Like, this isn't the Cohen brothers. This is just Joel Cohen. Who it's just Joel. wrote and directed. But, um, like, what? And it's in black and white. It's yeah. it's probably going to be a time. Yeah. I'm very excited for it. Um, 
Talk to me about Jen. And uh, at this point, also, before we move on from Fran, uh, we should say she could be a four-time Oscar winner by now, not even just three. Wait, why four? She's she's a credited producer on Nomadland. Oh, I didn't know that. So she could also win for Best Picture on top of Best Oh, Actress. very interesting. Oh, that's exciting. All right. Talk to me about Joan Cusack in this movie. I love Joan Cusack in this movie. I love Joan Cusack in this movie. I love that it is Joan Cusack in this role, too, because usually we see Joan Cusack either being the one who's a mess or the one who's the quirky one or the one who's the bull who's just like charging through. How odd to see Joan Cusack as the the most together character in a film. Exactly. And like, this feels like the type of character that would be completely killed by either studio notes yeah. or, like, you know, all the script writing rules that it's like, this character would, they, the rules tell you that it doesn't work, but it's actually really interesting in yeah. the hands of Nicole Hollis Center, where she is the most together one, but, like, the way that that manifests is, like, this unself-aware guilt, where it's like, she has the best life, the most solid foundation, so she has to solve everyone's problems yeah. to assuage her guilt for having a good life, Yeah, right? Yeah. But also, it's not like, it's not some harrowing uh, emotional state that it's like. It's just this, like, low temperature yeah. having to take care of everyone else. Type There's the one moment where she kind of boils over a little bit when uh, Olivia at the uh, is like, why do they do charity dinners like this? Why do they spend so much money on a charity dinner instead of just donating the money directly to whatever? And she's just like, because that's how it's done. You do a big dinner and you charge $10,000 for a table and we all pay it and that's just how it goes. And she's frustrated with being sort of being made to feel guilty by implication by Jennifer Aniston. And... She plays that really well, where it's like she's not, again, she doesn't really, like, tip over into, like, oh, she really is a monster or whatever. It's just like, no, she's just frustrated by the implications of her being. The the movie very smartly not only writes Olivia as the poorest of the four of them, but, like, Cusack is significantly wealthier than Keener or McDormand. And that's an interesting angle in this as mm-hmm. well. So like she's not only like the wealthy one compared to Olivia, she's the wealthy one compared to all of them. And I think that's a moment where it kind of, you know, you see that a little bit bubble over, but in a really kind of uh controlled way, which I like. Mm-hmm. She's great. She's it's interesting that like so she gets she has two Oscar nominations for comedies, which is like a really kind of a rare thing for an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, and, she's... and one of them was a surprise because Working Girl. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was something of a surprise nomination, right? Well, because the the supporting actress contender in that film is Sigourney Weaver, and uh-huh. so Cusack was kind of like, "Oh, we like this movie so much that we're going to nominate multiple uh, supporting actors from this movie." And yeah, let me. Pair through and see I mean, Joan Cusack's incredible in that movie. Most days of the week, I would probably vote for her to win out of that lineup. I mean, her hair alone in that movie is <laughs> absolutely incredible. Well, see, okay, so she had won the um, Boston Society of Film Critics 
Supporting Actress Prize that year for Working Girl, Married to the Mob, and a movie called Stars and Bars, all from 1988, which was a Daniel Day-Lewis movie, a um, another comedy about a seemingly like an art purchase you know what i mean it's like a it's a comedy set in the art world and it's um daniel day lewis and joan cusack and like harry dean stanton's in it whenever i've never seen it but in fact i've never heard of it until just this moment so i'm flying quite blind but so she was uh she won boston society of film critics for those three movies together. So it, it probably a lot of the momentum for the working girl nomination is what a great year for Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. She's really delivering and, um, and good for her because she does like, she's, she shows up and she brings it. She gets the nomination for in and out in 1997, which she's very funny. Is everybody gay? The question we're all asking. Um, <laughs> She's also in a film that's never going to get nominated. Is everybody gay? Am I in the Twilight Zone? <laughs> um, she's never going to get nominated for something like Adam's Family Values, even though she is a tour de force in that film. Like, I have no qualms about like Truly a legendary that. performance. It's a legendary performance. It is top to bottom fantastic. She makes that movie, and there's a lot of great stuff in that movie. Like, Adam's Family Values rules, and she's the best part of it. The part where she has them all tied or, or strapped to electric chairs, right? And uh, is forcing them to watch slides of her. It's like a very much a send-up of the over-explaining villain scene. And she's doing it with, like, a slide projector <laughs> of just, like, this is why. And she's... Malibu Barbie. Malibu Barbie. Like, the way she says that is so funny. Um, oh, God. Can't say enough. Can't say enough great things about Joan so, Cusack. Uh, is that an Alan Rudolph script or Paul Rudnick script? I think it's Paul Rudnick, right? Um, hold on a second. I am like, I would uh, put money on the fact that it is a Paul Rudnick script. And it is. Yes. That's just one of those performances, though, where like people are like, why wasn't she nominated for this? It was Adam's Family Values had other nominations, so they could have. And it's like, guys, no. they're not that cool. They're not. They'll, Especially they'll, they'll ne- in the 90s. They'll they never be not that, that cool. cool. No. Even though her other nominations feel like cool nominations, like they're not that cool. No. You're absolutely right. Um, which is too bad. And it is too bad. Yeah. Cast Joan Cusack in more films. Also, this is the other thing I'm going to yell out there into the universe. Um, she's obviously been very, very well served by the Toy Story movies. She is the voice of Jesse. She is fantastic. Um, particularly in Toy Story 2, where Jesse is a huge part of that story. Um, she's kind of the MVP of that film, of that uh, voice cast. She was on Shameless for a while. Shameless is a show that I liked for quite a bit. And while she was on it, I really liked it. But she was always my least favorite character because they really just sort of like, they did not treat that character well. They sort of dumped a lot of kind of nonsensical plot twists and whatever uh, onto her. She was the neighbor of the family 
My concept is she is the analog to Elizabeth Perkins on Weeds in Shameless. Oh no, Elizabeth Perkins got to have a lot more fun. Got to got, oh, got okay. to. There was a lot more. I think, at but least. there's a whole lot of character stuff. Sure, with that is just questionable. Yeah, but she gets a bunch of Emmy nominations for it. So I guess you know, good for her there. She was most recently on uh, the second season of Homecoming, the Amazon. Uh, half-hour drama, A Revolution in Television, the half-hour drama. More of it, please. There's like a billion people in that season of Homecoming that no one watched. I really liked it, I will say. I really liked the second season of Homecoming. And she plays a kind of government uh, um, bigwig who is up to very bad uh, uh, military-industrial complex stuff. She's a general? She's some, She's a defense department uh, person who ends up being a big bad in it, and uh, she's fantastic. She and uh, We want Joan Cusack in things where she could be funny, but I do feel like Joan Cusack has, like, a terrifying uh, crime syndicate performance. <laughs> not, like, yes. not, like, cast her as a mafiosa, but, like... Right. Uh, she ha- I think she has like a Jackie Weaver animal kingdom. Oh, her, right? yes. That's a fantastic comparison. I love that. I love that for her. I want to see that for Joan. All right. Um, Catherine Keener is the one we have. We've talked saved about for yet. last, probably for a reason, because she has the least interesting character. She is, but she's also she's the, the Nicole Holof Center lifer, right? Where like she's the mm-hmm. MVP of Hall of Center's first four films. She's well, she's in everything but the Land of Steady Habits, or is she also in the Land of Steady Habits? If she's in the Land of Steady Habits, it's a really small role. Yeah, I don't think she is. Because I don't remember it. But like um she's Walking and Talking is a like indie breakthrough. She had also been in um Living in Oblivion. She uh she was in a lot of sort of indie movies of that mid-90s era before being John Malkovich sort of like thrusts her into the mainstream, right? She gets the Oscar nomination for that. But like Walking and Talking is very much, it's Catherine Keener, it's Anne Heche, it is their relationship in that movie, defines that movie, and they're both freaking phenomenal. And I will, it's one of those things, I always, I already loved Anne Heche for, you know, other things, but like I will always love the both of them so much for that movie. They're really good. And then she's, pretty much the focal point character in Lovely and Amazing, even though that is an ensemble. But, like, among Brenda Blethyn and Emily Mortimer and her, she's the one who sort of is the main focus of Lovely and Amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. She blends into the ensemble here. Like you said, she's the least interesting of the four. She's a lead, again, in Please Give. She's amazing in that. And then... Everyone is amazing in Please Give. Yeah. And then she's the ex-wife in Enough Said, who's, like, really crucial to that film's conceit. And she's just, it's a great director-star partnership that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. I feel like, um, I understand why we talk about, like, Scorsese, DiCaprio a lot, but just, like, more talk about Hall of Center Keener, please. Like, that's the one I want to talk about. <laughs> it's such a good pairing. I don't know. Like, you're right. She's, Christine's the least interesting. She's in this, like, very obviously bad marriage that doesn't really have a ton of nuance to it. Like, from that very first scene, you're just like, Jason Isaacs is a shit. Like, God, he's an asshole. And he proves that correctly as we go along. But she's also really fantastic 
anytime she's with any of the other women in a scene. We're like her and McDormand mm-hmm. sort of just like talking is great. Her and Aniston, great. Her and Cusack, fantastic. And I think she knows the rhythms of Hall of Sinners work so well by now that she really like she you know in Top Chef where they do restaurant wars and it's like someone's going to be front of the house and a couple other people will be cooking their dish and then one of them their job is expediting, right? And it's like yes. I think Kat, that's Catherine Keener's function and she's the expediter. She's the expediter. She like she knows what needs to be done and what these rhythms are, this dialogue is whatever and like all of her scenes really work because of that skill, I think. And it's also interesting because she does play, I mean, I don't think we, when we talk about Keener Hall of Center, we don't also really talk about how each of the characters she's played in those movies are pretty different. Yeah. Um, Especially, like, enough said where you would expect her to be the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character, right. but she's ultimately the shallow... Um, is she a poet? Yeah, that's right, because I remember I was talking about it on our Enough Said episode. It, the fact that Catherine Keener shows up in a Nicole Hall of Center movie and says, I'm a poet, and it's a punchline. Right. Yes. Is so wonderful. Yeah. Um, She's also... Yeah, this, this character, like, I... It's interesting because Catherine Keener's also coming off of an Oscar nomination... Her second one, right? Yeah, her, her second, second one for Capote. Yeah. yeah. That and was it, an interesting Oscar nomination. I remember thinking I at the that time that like it's 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 not she's not in that movie much. She's in maybe like three or four sort of like scenes with Truman. And she's sort of the Jiminy Cricket, right? She's a little bit of like his mm-hmm. conscience on his shoulder. Um and I remember thinking at the time. Oh, there were other more sort of robust performances, and I like Catherine Keener, but like maybe not a nomination. But you watch that movie again, and you're just like, oh, but she's perfect, and she's crucial mm-hmm. to the way that the audience sees Truman in that movie, and just as a screen presence too. And I mean, this I, the way that she crafts her performance that it changes the temperature in the room when she shows up. It, uh, a it brings out something to Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance that isn't there when she's not there. Yeah. Um, because they've defined that relationship so well. Yeah. That's a really interesting screen chemistry between the two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that performance. I love that movie. You know what movie she's also in that I have not seen? She is part of the ensemble in The Gun in Betty Lou's Handbag. Really, I am really... <laughs> Really talking myself into needing to see this movie. I mean, we've have I have we talked on air or only off movies air that about exist only as titles, right? That the fact that after the Oscars and when I have some time to do a movie project, I want to do I want to watch all the movies that exist only as titles and then do like a letterboxed ranking of them or something. But like the cast of that movie, we talked about Penelope Ann Miller last week when we talked about Carlito's Way. But like Julianne Moore, Alfre Woodard, Kathy Moriarty, uh, Catherine Keener, Meatloaf. Um, an uncredited what? Stanley Tucci. Uh, uh, Xander Berkeley's in that movie. Like, it's that's a cast, man. Like, that's a real cast. What's happening? I have no idea. I know there's a gun in Betty Lou's handbag. That's about all I know. But I want, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be some monologue in the movie that it's going to be like Schrodinger's cat or something. <laughs> right. 
Right. Um, it's like it's the uh, it's the suitcase. There is no Betty Lou. From, uh... There is no gun. There is no handbag. <laughs> we find out it was all a state of mind. Yeah. Keener's car- uh, career arc is really interesting. I feel like she's often. I feel like we as a culture should be utilizing her more. I know I say that about a lot of actresses we talk about, but like she's always so good and she doesn't always get big roles. You know what I loved her in recently? We've talked about voice roles a bunch in this thing. She's so good in The Incredibles too. Yes. So good. Like more so that like, I think like above and beyond what even that role required. I was just like, it's, She's, I don't know, bringing a lot to a voice performance. A lot of like, she doesn't, she doesn't have a cartoon voice. She's really right? funny. She has a very like, she's still talking like she's in a Nicole Hall Center movie, sort of. But like, but like, oh, she's so incredibly interesting. And she and uh, and Holly Hunter's character have this like really odd chemistry together. It's really amazing. Yeah, I was gonna say it's also just like there's a certain oddness to the fact that she is a screen partner with Holly Hunter in an animated superhero movie. Yeah. She was also in that Amazon uh, dramedy Forever, the one where Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph uh, are in some sort of afterlife scenario. I didn't watch that. It's pretty good. And she shows up like a couple episodes into it, maybe like two or three episodes into it, and kind of complicates their relationship in these really kind of interesting ways. And she's not necessarily... um, everything that she seems to be at first and and she's it's a good role for her it it um i would recommend it and then also speaking of television she was on the oscar isaac david simon hbo miniseries show me a hero again which which i didn't watch and that i feel like i should catch up to you should oscar isaac's fantastic dominique fishback from uh uh Judas and the Black Messiah is in it. But Catherine Keener plays this woman who is very, uh, she lives in Yonkers and she's very suspicious of these sort of um, uh, black people in her neighborhood and kind of like that. And she's um, sort of like a neighborhood busybody, but her arc is really interesting throughout the the course of that, um, that mini series. And, it's just a really well done. I mean, it's David Simon. Obviously, he does like really, really fantastic stuff, but like earned the praise that it got and was kind of bummed that it didn't end up doing anything Emmy wise. It was one of those like casualties of the calendar where it was a, it was an August miniseries, which is like mm. you've just missed the cutoff for the Emmys and like the next Emmys isn't happening for quite a while. So like it's the equivalent of like a February movie in, uh, for oscars it's just like you got a long way to go friend and Mm -hmm. but she's fantastic in that so the true uh justice for Catherine keener moment though was captain phillips where i don't even think you see her complete face no it's the the, like i think she is barely in frame but you know it's Catherine keener in a in an era where much as i love dad hanks era like the the dad tom hanks era of things or like um professional competence tom hanks the (laughs) the number of fantastic actresses who exist only on the other end of a phone line from him where it's like keener in captain phillips laura linney in sully amy ryan in bridge of spies and who is it that i just watched greyhound elizabeth shue 
who at least gets a flashback scene where she's shopping for Christmas presents, but like doesn't exist in the main timeline of that movie. And it's like, I want the four of those women to have like a birds of prey, fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn kind of movie together where they just sort of like (laughs) decide to come into their own all together and talk about their Hanksy husbands. Um, I think probably the Harley Quinn, like the the star, the one that like rules the entire uh, gang of heroes for like great phone acting, but they were truly the lead of their movie would probably be Ruth Nega and Loving. Oh, excellent phone acting. She could be like the Charlie and Charlie's Angels of them, where she's like giving them ironically orders on the phone. Um, orders through the phone. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, the one Kate Keener thing we should talk about, a recent Keener performance, where she was amazing and like got overshadowed in the awards push of it, and rightly so, considering the other people who were getting praise. But like, she's so great in Get Out. Yeah, you loved her in that movie. She didn't really register for me <sighs> with that movie, but like, it's such a. I, I love you're right, everyone's amazing in that movie. I love really brief performances that that become indelible to me and that obviously the the um the sunken place scene that very first sunken place scene works for a billion different reasons kaluuya's expression on his face the way that jordan peele directs it but i think she's so crucial to that i think the way her presence in that and her authority the way that like she can command a surprising amount of authority in a very like brief amount of time is so crucial to well, the way that Well, in a certain level works. of sinisterness, yes. that's kind of the surprise in what she's offering because it weirdly comes very natural natural to her, even though it's not maybe a note we've seen from her. But she doesn't play these like stereotypical what you would think of like as Karen notes. You know what I mean? Now where it's like mm-hmm. she's not over the top and she's not. Um, she doesn't present as problematic in that movie and then all of a sudden it just like it really turns and i just think she's incredible but also it could have very easily been like witchy for lack of a better word and i don't think she does those type of horror cliches either right right exactly exactly uh i love her it's a great cast it's a really fantastic cast did you want to say anything else about any of the other uh, actors in the film we talked about simon mcburney obviously but like Jason Isaacs, Scott Kahn, Greg Gurman, Ty Burrell. It's a it's a it's a good cast. This is a great movie. The thing about Nicole Hall of Center movies in regards to Oscar is like it always feels like she's just on the outside in regards to original screenplay. Yeah. Like she's always in like people's long list predictions and such. That's what I mean. She's always like, a, she's a Spirit that. Award nominee for all of these movies, but like it's never quite mm-hmm. beyond that. Um, let me, let me, I want to look up now and see if she got any WGA nominations ever. Um, besides, can you ever forgive me? Um, I don't think so. Maybe lovely and amazing. Um, no, please give. She got a best original screenplay nomination for please give. Hell yeah. It's the best one. Which is great. Who did she lose to? Um, that's 08. (laughs) She lost to Inception. That's very funny. (sighs) 
That's an um, interesting set of nominees. Inception, Black Swan, The Fighter, The Kids Are All Right, which were all Oscar nominees for Best Picture. And Please Give is the fifth nominee. That's the other thing, too, is like she gets overshadowed by slightly similar movies. So it's like if she was overshadowed by probably The Kids Are All Right in that year for like a certain type and certain temperature of a movie. Yeah. The year we're talking about, she's definitely overshadowed by Little Miss Sunshine, which definitely took all of the Sundance oxygen out of the room. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And you even look at, because again, we talked about how Frances McDormand wins the the, um, Independent Spirit Award for Best Supporting Actress in that year. And that year... um, Interestingly, Little Miss Sunshine wins Best Feature and Best Director and Best Supporting Male for Alan Arkin, which was a precursor for his Oscar win. But don't nominate Abigail Breslin in um, Supporting Actress. Don't nominate anybody, actually, from uh, Little Miss Sunshine in Supporting Actress. And so McDormand ends up beating out... um, you know, actresses from like a lot of smaller movies. It's Melanie Diaz mm-hmm. in A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, which was um, the Shia LaBeouf, Channing Tatum film, sort of like. Also a Sundance movie. Also a Sundance movie. Marsha Gay Harden in that movie, American Gun, that I never saw, that always seemed a little gimmicky to me. But Also a movie that exists only as a title. Right. Mary Beth Hurt uh, in that Karen Moncrief movie, The Dead Girl, which I've been meaning to watch forever, but there's like no urgency to see it at this point. So it's always Mm -hmm. sort of lingering in the bottom third of whatever list that I have of movies to see. But like the cast of that movie is amazing, where it's uh, Tony Collette, Brittany Murphy, may she rest, uh, Rose Byrne, Marsha Gay Harden, Mary Beth Hurt, Carrie Washington, Piper Laurie, Mary Steenburgen, like just an insane cast. Um, and then Amber Tamblyn was nominated for that movie Stephanie Daly, her and uh, Tilda Swinton, mm-hmm. where Amber Tamblyn plays a girl who um, has a baby in a bathroom stall and and uh, leaves it there. And there's a whole uh, criminal, whatever, trial for it that I, again, I only know of it because it was an Independent Spirit Award nominee. Um, but McDormand is the biggest star in that category and Mm -hmm. probably representing the highest profile film even though friends with money was a pretty modest indie release but like definitely was a bigger and i'm not sure if this is still at the time where it's like you buy a membership to film independent and you can vote on the spirit awards and that's why all of the oscar winners are the indie spirit award winners now yes you have uh anybody can vote for it yes but again what I love about the Spirit Awards is, like, at least at the nomina- the nomination stage, it will give you, like, a good number of movies that you're just like, oh, I should check that out because I've never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that they can, and because they air so late in the season, they're, like, the last thing to air before the Oscars, it's always a nice little breath of fresh air of just like, oh, right, there were other movies this year. That's fantastic. Well, and like their nominations are earlier in the season right. too, so it right. it really can give a movie like a boost. Like the year we're talking about now, like it definitely was instrumental in getting Ryan Gosling the Half Nelson nomination because Half Nelson does really well to the point where like Sharika Epps wins yes. a female lead, but like there were a lot of people really pushing her to get an Oscar nomination too. Yes, um, although in supporting, which movie. I love she that like so good in that movie. I love that the spirits were just like, no, we're going to give you an award and we're going to put you in lead because you are the lead of that movie and mm-hmm. um yeah 
That was great. Hall of Center gets nominated for screenplay at That Spirits and loses to Jason Reitman for Thank You for Smoking, which it's interesting Mm -hmm. to think of in the context of Jason Reitman, because then he was this sort of young upstart. Thank You for Smoking was seen as this like very edgy indie movie, um, very like tone heavy uh, Aaron Eckhart lead performance. Aaron Eckhart, I think, gets nominated for a Golden Globe that year. For thank mm-hmm. you for smoking, and now we sort of think of Jason Reitman as this just like pampered establishment Brat. making his daddy's Ghostbusters movie, like yada yada yada. Um, it's just interesting to think back to like what his pre, um, maybe his pre men, women, and children persona. <laughs> um, I just want to shout out before we move into uh, wrapping things up. Uh, Short King, Scott Kahn, he talked about it at the beginning. His, like, handful of himbo performances in the early 2000s were um, crucial, I will say. To uh, He's a really underrated Oceans performer. He's so funny. Him and Casey Affleck, for as much as we don't want to talk about Casey Affleck, are incredibly funny together in Oceans 11 doing comic relief. They're just... um. Really great stuff, especially in that first one. Really good. And then, like, but he's just, like, he's in a whole bunch of movies where it's just, like, show a little personality, but mostly, like, definitely take your shirt off. Like, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Where it's, like, Varsity Blues and um, American Outlaws and... Uh, he was in that movie Sunny, the uh, the James Franco directed movie Sunny. He was in a uh, movie yes. called Into the Blue, where it's literally like him and Paul Walker diving for treasure in the Surfing Bahamas, movie. and it's just like and Jessica yeah. Alba, and it's just like just all of you take your shirts off. Like that's what this movie is doing. It's just like everybody take your shirts off. Um, you see his butt in Varsity Blues. He has a tattoo of a like a Longhorn cattle or whatever on his butt for the care for the character of it all because it's very texas um unseemly it's a very good butt i know i talk about butts a lot on this podcast i probably should do it less but like we are a tina belcher podcast have a photographic butt memory we love the butts scott con has a great one all right anyway um jason isaacs always a great bad guy <laughs> like yeah. just always a great bad guy harry potter uh uh the O, the OA, uh, and I almost said the OC. What if Jason Isaacs was the bad guy on the OC? I'd believe it. Uh, one of the things I did think was interesting about that Sundance movie, Mass, was like, wow, we're supposed to side with Jason Isaacs for some of this. That's interesting. Yeah, That's not common. I'm not. I'm not used to being in that position at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he makes it work because there are times when you're not supposed to side with that character like that. Uh, right, right, you know, right. We've talked about it. I like that. Movie. All right. I didn't like that. I know. Um, wait, I want to go through my notes and see if there's anything else that I missed. Uh, the bucket hats, obviously, um, uh, move over Patty Clarkson. You have some competition. We should mention Francis McDormand plays a fashion designer in this movie. Yeah. And I, I like that. <laughs> it's a good it's a good note on her. I love the scene where she takes them to her little uh whatever um not showroom but where where she's got all her clothes to try on stuff for this benefit that they're going to. And I just think it's a really lovely scene for their friendship because it's after so much sort of turmoil has happened with 
you know, McDormand has broken her nose and Aniston and Cusack have had this fight and all this sort of stuff. And, but they fall back into these really sort of easy rhythms of their friendship that really, again, sells for me that like, oh yeah, these women are, you know, longtime friends and I totally buy it. Um, oh, the scene where Joan Cusack is sort of talking up Olivia to Scott Kahn when they're doing their tra- their uh, their uh, training session, and she's sort of talking about all the wonderful things about her and how she's great and whatever. And Scott Kahn, being the like you know pigish character he is, just says, "How are her tits?" And like without missing a beat, Cusack just goes up in a way that like really made me laugh. <laughs> it's just a really great delivery, just a really great like snappy boom boom. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I really liked this movie. Anything else from you? Uh, no. How about this? Because I don't think we did this in our Enough Said episode. Yeah. How, uh, what could we do a quick, uh, ranking of Hall of Center movies? Oh, I love this. Yes, we can. Um, all right, let me go back to, so the six movies are Walking and Talking, Lovely and Amazing, Friends with Money, Please Give, Enough Said. So Land of Steady Habits is number six. Easy number six for me. Oh, easy number six. My number five is probably, oh, oh, this is hard. I mean, so. See, it's difficult. Lovely and Amazing is the movie that I've, it's been the longest since I've seen it. I only saw it the once and it was back in 2001. So I would probably rank that as my fifth only because I think about it the least, even though I really, really love it. Um, and it's really I good. would also put that in my fifth. I think Friends with Money is probably my number four. Um, and, you know, I've talked about how much I really like this movie. So, like, that's, you know, a testament to Hall of Sinners movies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where it gets tough. This top three... It's like, what oh, What do I value? What do I love? I think I would probably put, <sighs> please give it three, enough said it two, walking and talking at one. And maybe that's my nostalgia talking because walking and talking was so new. It's a great movie. But like, it's a really great movie. And like, I mean, those top three are just like, it's it's great on great on great. And, but I think that's where I end up. What about you? I would definitely say Land of Steady Habits. Lovely and Amazing, though Lovely and Amazing is still really good. I think there's some stuff that hasn't aged as well in that movie, and I think there's a few things that just don't work. Um, my number four would... See, this is... this is Four and, like, three are more difficult yeah. for me than, like, one and two. Yeah. I would say four is enough said, then Friends with Money. Okay. At number three, number two is walking and talking, and number one is please give. Yeah, I mean, they're all really great. Wait, so we could talk, we could do please give. So we in the future, so maybe we won't talk about it too much. But um, it's really smartly done. It's like a lot of the stuff that she sort of like starts to talk about in terms of like money and class and privilege and friends with money really pays off really really well in please give. Mm-hmm. And um Rebecca Hall, great. Amanda Peet, great. Sarah Steele, great. Like it's just again, phenomenal cast. Everyone is great in that movie. And that's a New York movie. She sort of does her, she has her LA movies and her New York movies also, right? And Friends with Money is an mm-hmm. LA movie, and Please Give is definitely a New York movie, and I really love that about it. 
I think that's one of the things that I don't like about Land of Steady Habits is that it's neither. It's whatever, Connecticut or something. Who needs it? We'll uh, probably continue to be talking about Nicole Hollis Center this year because, as we must remember, she is a co-screenwriter on The Last Duel. Yes. Oh my god, she wrote those haircuts into The Last Duel. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh boy. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Yes. All right, tell our listeners what the IMDb game is. Yeah, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released here as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. All right, fantastic. Joe, would you like to give her guess first? I'll give first. All right. Please give uh, your good one. Uh, Obviously, I was going to pick somebody person. from the Nicole Hall Center uh, stable of performers. I picked an actress from a movie that now that we've mentioned it a couple of times, I do want to see again and uh, and you know re-experience it. From Lovely and Amazing, uh, not Catherine Keener, not Brenda Blethyn, but uh, Emily Mortimer, I'm going to give you. Emily Mortimer, who, okay, so she definitely had a lot of buzz and got some critics mentions Yes, for that movie, so I am actually tempted to guess this for her, but is there any TV? Because I think she's done TV. She's definitely done TV. There is no TV on her known for, even though, uh, yeah, the newsroom could have showed up there, but it did not. Okay. Um, I've also recently started watching High Maintenance, and I'm like, Emily Mortimer is going to show up at any <laughs> Be um, on the ready. She could show up at any moment. <laughs> okay. Emily Mortimer. Uh, yeah, I'll say it. Lovely and amazing. Incorrect. Strike one. Uh, shit um there's got to be a big one that she's in because she does work with a lot of major filmmakers but sometimes they're small roles or she she doesn't really do blockbusters the only blockbuster i can think of that she's in is mary poppins returns is it returns is that the name of that movie yes mary poppins returns uh, I'm going to guess that. Correct. Mary Poppins Returns. Cool. She plays Jane Banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, married to Ben Wishaw. Wait, no. Aren't they brother and sister? Oh, yeah. Never mind. Scandal. <laughs> Disney, what are you doing? Making incest <laughs> movies for the masses. Um, I'm going to guess a movie that I love Emily Mortimer in, and I do really like this movie, though I should maybe revisit it. Um... Lars and the Real Girl. Yes, correct. Lars so and the good Real Girl. in that movie. Uh, it's her and Paul Schneider are uh, uh-huh. a couple in that, and and Gosling is his brother or her brother. His right. Uh, I think Paul Schneider and Ryan Gosling are brothers. Yeah, I think that's right. Because I think it's that, like, she she has a lot of affection for him as the in-law, I think. I think that's right. Um, she's so good. She's, she's so, so good. good. Yes, she is. Um, okay, now this is where it gets tricky. So you got two of four. You only have one strike. Trying to think of what I maybe first saw. Oh, uh, duh, she's in Scream 3. I think that's the first time I saw her in something. 
I think this is the first time I saw it on something, too. It is not Scream 3, however. So. Damn it. Your remaining years are 2005 and 2009. 2005, Ooh. I think you'll get. 2009 is going to be a challenge. 2009 might end up being a free-for-all of hints. Oh, okay. Okay, so 2005. That's before what we're talking about. Right. So it's post-Lovely and Amazing. Right. But before Lars and the Real Girl, because Lars and the Real Girl was the writer strike year. Um, 07, yes. Oh. What would I have seen her in? Is this an Oscar movie? Um, let me check. I know it was a it was an award season movie. Yes, it was nominated for one Oscar. It was nominated for four Golden Globes. Oh, um, okay. So that probably says that the one Oscar was in a major category. Was it an acting category? No. Okay, what did really well at the Globes that year that, like, kind of flubbed Oscar? Was it a craft category? No. So that'll be harder. Okay, so was it a writing category? Yes. Screenplay? Yes. Oh, it's Match Point. It's Match Point. Woody Allen's yeah. Match Point. Yes. Nominated for Globes for Picture, Director, Screenplay, and Supporting Actress for Scarlett Johansson. Yep. Yeah. It did very well with the Globes. It did. I like Match Point. I know that was a pretty divisive movie, but uh, I remember I really liking it. it at the time. And then when I rewatched it, like shortly after it, I was like, "This is a little flimsy." That's probably true, but I thought it was uh, quite enjoyable. Anyway, your 2009 movie is not a movie that I have seen, but I've definitely heard of it. Um, it is a. How do I characterize this? It's like, it's sort of a one, it's not a one man show, but like definitely like one actor as a character is like the focal point of it. It is British. Um, I'm guessing it's pretty small too, because it's pretty small. Not a hit. It's pretty small. She's second build. Oh. She's a cop, it seems. Is the lead also a cop? Or is no. the lead like a criminal? The lead is a criminal. Or like a yes. The he's lead com- has been a bad, he's bad committing girl. crimes. The lead the, has been careless with a delicate man. The poster is this lead character with a gun in his hand walking away from a bunch of burning cars in a very sort of like is it like liam neeson i guess it's 09 it would be before that for liam neeson it's before that for liam neeson and um but the movie does seem like the kind of thing like liam neeson would probably make now um it was okay so uh, who would that probably be it was a tiff movie it was a south by southwest movie it's um the lead guy is very much oscar uh approved it's very successful with oscars so it's a winner yes british yes not daniel day lewis no um That does these kind of Liam Neeson movies, though. 
I mean, I don't know if he does a lot of them, but he's like definitely done them. He's much more these days. He's almost exclusively a supporting character in big movies. Okay. But I know this actor. It's not oh, like yeah. I'm digging the well for you absolutely some know random this actor. Oscar win. Right, exactly. Okay. A lead actor winner? Nope. Supporting. Okay, he's one supporting. Very much one supporting. Like, so much one supporting. As in, like, has won multiple supporting Oscars? Perhaps, yes. Okay. Prior to or after this movie? Prior. British. Yes. It's not like a British movie with an American star. Nope. Very a very British star. In fact, when people uh, won multiple Oscars before two thousand nine, British man in yeah this like crime movie. Yeah. Um. When people like to do British accents. Oh, is it Michael Caine? It's Michael Caine. Okay. In 2009, so that would be before, well, not actually after Christopher Nolan sucked him up into basically playing right. uh, butlers, butlers who are butlers. <laughs> right. Um, His butler phase. Um, there's Lee Daniels, the butler, which is uh, right. Uh, Force Whitaker. Yes. Uh, Michael Caine is Christopher Nolan's the butler. Yes. And he wouldn't be a butler in that. Even but, Alfred really isn't a butler in those movies. Oh, interestingly, the guy More who directed just like this sad old man. The guy who directed this directed The Keeping Room, that Britt Marling Haley Steinfeld movie, The Keeping Room. Oh. I don't know who that director is. Yeah, it's not you're not. Okay, so I'm trying to think. I think I know what this poster is. Yeah, you I do. feel like if there was anything I know this movie for, it was like, oh, Michael Caine is doing Get Carter again. Right. Right. Or that's the vibe. That's the right? vibe, at least of the poster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except I don't know the name of this movie. It's a. It's is a, the name. Of, is the name of the movie like the character name? It is. Okay, I think I basically got it. What's yeah, the name it, of Harry Brown. Harry Brown. Sure. Michael Caine in the very famous movie Harry Brown. Well okay. done. Good job. Thank you. I love Emily Mortimer. Yes, she's great. Okay, so obviously I also went the Nicole Hollis Center route with her stars. Uh, one that I praise, and I feel like I've praised this performance before, but I wanted to get a little difficult. I did not do a female Nicole Hollis Center star. I did a male one. For you, Joseph, I have Mr. Oliver Platt. Okay. Please give. Any television. No television. No voiceover work. Damn. All right, so once again, a character actor who's been in a lot of things. But what did he, what was he most prominent in? Is Please Give one of them? No. Damn it. All right. That was a waste. Is Bullworth one of them? No. Damn it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like okay. movies where like he was like played like very big characters. And that was definitely one. So you're getting your years. Your first year is 1993. Then there's two from 1999 and one from 2009. Okay. Is 1993 Dave? It is not Dave. Damn it. All right. 
1993. It is, however. Oh, no, it is not an Oscar nominee. Um, I thought it was a Best Song nominee, but it is not. Oh. Definitely the song in the movie is from a, at that time, recent Oscar-nominated uh, song star. Oh. A recent Oscar-nominated song star. Um, Songwriter. I'm pretty sure that the songwriter was nominated for that song. Definitely chasing the vibes of that song. Okay. Then two in 99 and one in 2009. Yes. All right. Oscar-nominated songwriter from the early 90s slash late 80s? Early 90s. Early 90s. Probably not Madonna. Brian Adams? Yes. Brian Adams in 19... Oh, 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 it's The Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers. Oh, Brian Adams, Sting, Rod Stewart, uh, all for one, all for love. Yes. What if that was an Oscar nominee? What if? Okay. All right. 99. Are any of these Oscar movies? Um, I'm, I was looking at this because there was one that I thought got one nomination, but it didn't. Um, however, one of the 1999 movies does have one Oscar nomination. Major or minor? Uh, it's a craft category. However, this is also a movie that I think you and I would jockey for, uh, being nominated for best original song. (laughs) Oh, um... There's a lot of good original songs in 99 is the thing. Um, Hold on. Not Beautiful Stranger from Austin Powers. Not The World Is Not Enough. No, but that'd be rad. Yeah. Um, 99. Song we liked. No one knows this song. It's just you and I know this song, and we we ride hard for this song. (laughs) Great. Um... I'm he, pretty sure we featured it in an, a previous episode. Can't I could not tell you what episode, but I know we used this song as a punchline before. And only we like it. Um is it a action movie? No. So not an action movie but in a craft category. So mm-hmm. score Oliver Platt. No, not best score. I'll I'll give it to you. Best makeup. Best makeup, 1999. Oliver Platt. Is he like the friend? I think he's either the friend. He might be a fr- the friend who is also a dad. Oh, God, it's Bicentennial Man. (laughs) Bitch, it's Bicentennial Man. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Featuring Celine Dion uh, on the soundtrack and on the video getting turned into a robot creature. Bicentennial Man. Amazing. Okay. Um, The other 99 The other two are movies I would have guessed for Oliver Platt, I will say. Really? Okay. So you have a 1999 movie and you have a 2009 movie. God, what even happened in 2009? Is 2009... Both of these movies are junk. They are not good movies. They are genre movies. Okay. Um, 
genre as in like comedy or action or no i think both of these movies are pe- are movies that people would probably enjoy ironically okay one of them a sizable hit and then the 1999 movie is like something that you'll find on TBS at any given moment. Um, <laughs> action but or people comedy? ironically love it. Uh, neither. Neither action nor comedy. Is it? No. Ready to Rumble is both action and comedy. Um, <laughs> it's not Ready to Rumble. Uh, ninety the ninety nine movie that we're talking about has a um, fairly famous and gauche use of an old lady. Oh God, it's Lake Placid. It's Lake Placid. I would call Lake Placid. Well, I guess it's not action. You're it's right. It's a horror there's movie. A, there's not a lot of action. Yeah. Okay. Yes, gauche Betty White. Uh, what does she say? Like you... she says, if I had a dick, I would tell you to suck it. That's right. Oh, Betty White. Okay. 2009. Not a comedy, you said. 2009. Not a comedy. Um, this this uh, very specific genre is kind of this director's specialty. Um, we talked about this director uh, one time for a very atypical movie for them and probably the worst movie we've ever covered on this podcast. Um, oh, God. The competition for that is fierce. Yeah. Um, action director who directed something atypical? Yes. Sort of modeling? Action, but what kind of action movie? What kind of action? Um, revenge no. action. Disaster movie. Yes. 2012. 20. 20- 2012. Roland Emmerich 2012. That's right, because it was made in 2009, and they were just like, don't worry, in a few years the world's ending. And they, You know what would be a fun time at the movies? A movie that <laughs> makes you think the world is ending in three years. Oh, they only had it off by a few. Um, that gauche movie. Yeah, 2012. You're right. People do appreciate that movie, ironically. I will say that. And also Lake Placid. Good clues. Very good clues. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, that's our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. This episode is supported in part by Gateway Film Center, a nonprofit cinema committed to supporting storytellers. Authentic stories can inspire new ideas, entertain, push boundaries, spark new levels of empathy, and advance social change. To learn more about their program and plan your visit for award season weekend, please visit Gateway Film center.org joe tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of you sure i'm on twitter at joe reed reed spelled r-e-i-d i am on letterboxd as joe reed spelled the same way uh and if you want to find me literally in person go to your nearest old navy i will be screaming and running into doors uh but if you would rather find me on twitter i am at chris v file that's f-e-i-l and i'm also on letterboxd under the same name 
We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, including Spotify. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So scream from your Hummer about how more people should listen to us and stop stealing your parking spot. Uh, that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. We just like to party, like to pump a party, yeah. Bang, bang. We're beautiful and